Um, so the reading this morning is John chapter 1, uh, beginning to read at verse 19, which can be pay- found on page 911 on the Bibles on the seats. John chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had, sent, who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as it as a dove and remain on him and i myself did not know but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come come down and remain is the one who will be baptized with the holy spirit i have seen and i testify that this is god's chosen one the next day john was there again with two of his disciples when he saw jesus passing by he said look the lamb of god When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, 
Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then, ad- he then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven and th- heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thanks, Becca. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Andy. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you over a coffee and maybe a, a brownie or a chocolate cookie before you before they run out over morning tea. Um, uh, we're going to look at that passage, so it'd be really helpful to have your Bibles open. Uh, but let me pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you for this treasure that is John's Gospel. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you gave John the words to say and the ways of describing his Saviour that we might believe in Jesus and have life in his name. We pray that you would do that work by your spirit this morning, wherever each of us is at, that you would speak through me to our hearts and help us to believe in Jesus and have life in his name. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I want to ask, how do you find truth? How do you work out whether something is true or not, whether to believe in something. Some people love facts and science and evidence. And so if you want to work out whether something is true, well, you do your research. You weigh up all the evidence. You analyze it, all the information you can get your hands on to answer the question you have. You test the theories and you come up with the best theory you can on the basis of evidence. For others, though, evidence isn't enough. You want to experience it for yourself. And so you're skeptical of anyone's opinion, including the experts, because seeing is believing. You're not going to take someone else's word for it. For others, it's actually the opinion of others. It's almost the opposite. The opinions of others that matters most. You care more about relationships than research. You listen to the people you care most about and the people you respect, and you believe what they believe or what they say because you trust them. Others live more by instinct. You go with what feels right. Uh, you rely on your gut. The evidence might say one thing, but your gut says something else. And so you believe that. Still others have given up on seeking and finding the truth altogether. You don't think anyone can say that they know the truth. See, we're, we're all influenced by too many biases and cultural conditioning, and there's only one person's opinion versus another. You have your truth, I have my truth, and we're fine with that. Uh, if you want fancy words to describe that way of thinking, you might call it postmodernism or relativism. And it can sometimes feel that way, can't it? We, we all have different approaches to the truth and we all seem to come up with different conclusions. And so is it even possible to find the truth? Well, God cares about the truth. And he cares about us seeking and finding truth. 
If you've still got John open, uh, have a look back a few verses to the passage we saw last week in verse 14 in, in John's introduction. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. He's talking about Jesus there. Jesus, the Son of God, come to reveal his glory full of grace and truth. So have you found the truth that Jesus came to reveal? Because that's why God worked through John to write this book. Lots of texts uh, that we have preserved for us. Uh, You kind of have to work out the author's intention by carefully looking at what they wrote. But John actually tells us his purpose for writing John's gospel. And it's in chapter 20, verse 31. He says this, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's purpose for writing. And John cares deeply about you his audience, his readers, finding the truth. That's why he wrote this book. So that you would believe a particular truth about a particular person in history. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in that truth, that you would have life in his name. See, John's convinced that the only true truth and life is found in believing in Jesus. And so back to our question, how do we find truth? One option is off the table right away. And that's the last one, postmodernism. The idea that there is no truth, that it's all just opinions. Now that might be true of flavors of ice cream or of deciding whether Wellington is worth it for the weather. But you can't say that about Jesus. Either John is right in his assertion that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and you can find life in his name, or John is wrong. He's not the Messiah. uh, Jesus is not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. And John must have made it up, or he himself was deceived. And if John was wrong, well, you might be able to find some inspiration from Jesus. You might have a high opinion of him, like chocolate ice cream. But believing in Jesus at that point is no more than wishful thinking about a nice idea that isn't actually true. But that isn't an option that John gives us. He wants us to believe that this is true. And so how do we work it out? How do we decide whether this is true? Well, what we see in our passage is that there are actually many different ways to find the truth about Jesus. We see a whole bunch of different people, each with their own journey, to find the truth about Jesus. It was great kicking off community group this week. Uh, We went around our group and shared how each of us became a Christian, just to get to know each other a bit. And everyone had a different story. Um, Some grew up in a Christian home. Others were invited to come to church by a friend or a youth group. Um, Some read books presenting the evidence for Christianity. Some had answered prayers. Most of us, it was a combination of all those things. 
but we all had our different ways that we arrived at believing in Jesus. So what's your story? How did you find the truth about Jesus? Maybe you're here this morning and you're still on that journey. You're still searching. You're still wondering, is this true? That's awesome. If that's you and you're here, I'm so glad you're here. This book was written for you. It was written for all of us, but it was written so that you might believe. And my hope this morning is that it doesn't matter what kind of thinker you are. What matters is your willingness to come and see. Whether you're still exploring whether this is true or whether you follow Jesus all your life, my hope and prayer is not just this morning, but as, as we spend this time in John's gospel, is that we would come and see, that we would get to know our Lord Jesus more and more. And as we get to know him deeper, we would love him deeper. And we would find that amazing, deeply satisfying, abundant, joyful life in his name. But before we look at how different people arrive at this truth, let's briefly look at some of the key truths that John wants us to see about Jesus. One of the great things about John's gospel is it's packed full of theology. So we're just going to go real quick. Sorry if we leave uh, questions in your mind. Feel free to chat afterwards. But uh, let's have a look at the titles that John gives Jesus and see what that teaches us about him. So in verse 29, John the Baptist, he describes Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this, of course, points us forward to Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. The Israelites, they used to sacrifice lambs to take the place as a punishment for their sin. A punishment of sin is death. A life had to be paid, and so an unblemished lamb was sacrificed so that you didn't have to die. And so Jesus being the Lamb of God means he would come and be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Not just for one sin or one person's sin, but for the sin of the world. Next title in verse 33, Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, God had spoken through the prophets of Israel about a day when he would pour out his spirit on all people. He would empower his people to do what the Israelites didn't do, what they failed to do, and that is to live wholeheartedly for him. And what we see is that as Jesus, the Lamb of God, dies for our sin, he's raised miraculously to life, he ascends to heaven, and then he pours out his spirit on his people. And from that time, that time at Pentecost, anyone who comes to believe in Jesus will receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, which empowers us to keep trusting and following Jesus. That's the second thing, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Third, third title for Jesus, uh, verse 41, Andrew calls him the Messiah. Now, the, the Messiah is a Hebrew term. Uh, the Greek term for it is the Christ. Uh, and it literally means the anointed one. Uh, people who were going to become the king were anointed with oil. They had oil poured on their head to indicate that they were chosen as the king. And again, the prophets had predicted that there was a great king who was going to come and rescue and restore Israel, the Messiah. He's going to set up this amazing kingdom of righteousness and he will reign forever. 
as the Messiah. And so you can see why Philip describes Jesus as the one who Moses wrote about in the law and who the prophets also wrote. You see, the Old Testament had been preparing for this great man to come. Uh, There are more titles which we could unpack. Uh, We don't have time. The Chosen One, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Son of Man. But perhaps the most profound title here is a little bit more subtle. It's there back in verse 23. How does John the Baptist describe the one who's coming after him? Make straight the way for who? For the Lord. That's the name the Jewish people used for God. Adonai. See, as John was preparing the way for Jesus to come, this King to come, this Lamb of God to come, he was making straight the way for God to come. Jesus is God as a man. And just as striking, one more title, Look at the title given to Jesus at the end of verse 45. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, even though Jesus was God, he was also Jesus of Nazareth, a real person in history from a real town. He was at the same time the son of God in the flesh And also the son of Joseph, a humble carpenter from a backwater town. So how did anyone come to believe that this humble carpenter from Nazareth was in fact the son of God? Was in fact God come as a man? How did people move from seeing what was in front of them to believing what the truth was behind this man. Well, let's have a look at how these first believers came to believe. And the first person we see here come to believe in Jesus is John the Baptist. Uh, Now, just to clear up any confusion, uh, John the Baptist is different to the John who wrote this letter uh, or this book, this gospel. So John the author is writing here about another John called John the Baptist. And what we see is that John came to believe in Jesus through a special revelation. That's what we might call it. God revealed it to him supernaturally in order to send John to do a specific task. John was sent to prepare the way for Jesus to come, prepare the way for others to believe in Jesus. And he was to prepare them by baptizing them, dunking them in the river of Jordan to represent repentance and a fresh start. And as he's dunking people, he's preaching as well. And he's saying, His message is all about this one who's coming after him, who's greater than him because he was before him. Did you see that confusing language? He's greater because he was before and he's coming after. In other words, the promised Messiah who was promised before and existed before John was even born, he is coming. The one promised long ago, he's far greater than John. Now, the thing with special revelation, if someone says, I have something from God, how do you know it's true? How do you know John wasn't just making this up? That's the problem with a special revelation, isn't it? It's pretty tricky to test. 
And in fact, that's exactly what the Jewish leaders are thinking, right? So they, they send some priests and Levites and Pharisees to question Jesus. Who are you? Uh, John, sorry, they question John. Who are you? And I think we get a pretty good sense of whether John is making it up if we consider his response. And it's because John has no interest in building his own platform. He's at pains to say, I'm not the Messiah. He's not the prophet or Elijah. In other words, he's no big deal. So who is he then? Well, he's preparing the way for someone else. See, as popular as John became, people were flocking to him. It's caught the attention of the authorities. But John isn't talking about himself. It's, he's being given this revelation to point people to someone else. And when he starts out with this task, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He just knows that there's someone coming who's greater than him. See, imagine what it would be like to, to be a supporting act for a, a superstar, like, let's say, Taylor Swift. Imagine you bought your tickets, you've flown to Sydney, because she won't come to New Zealand, and, and you r- arrive there nice and early at the stadium, and there's this nobody on stage you've never heard of yelling, Good evening, Sydney! Thank you for coming to see me tonight! You'd look, they'd look ridiculous, right? They'd probably get booed off stage. The people aren't there to see the supporting act that no one's heard of. They're there to see Tay-Tay. <laughs> and that's what John keeps saying over and over, isn't it? I'm just the supporting act here, people. He who comes after me has surpassed me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Or if it was Taylor Swift, I'm not even worthy to unbuckle her sparkly knee-high boots. Now, do you see how John is a credible witness? If you want to assess whether John the Baptist did really get a revelation from God, well, look at what he does with it. See, the only reason someone would claim to have a special revelation from God if they didn't was if they could gain something from it, right? Maybe they do it to gain a following or to influence people or to feel powerful or get people's admiration or get their money. Whatever it is, they're trying to gain something from faking it. But you can tell John's not faking it because he's, he's not calling people to follow him. He's been sent to point people to someone else. Someone he doesn't even know at first. What did he have to gain by making that up? Now, John was doing what God had sent him to do, to prepare the way for Jesus. Now, it's important to note here, as we're thinking about different ways of finding truth, that John's situation was pretty unique, right? Lots of people met Jesus, but only John got to see the Spirit descend on him like a dove. Only John got told, by God, this is the one. Now, it's not to say that you can't get a special word from God or a revelation. Uh, I've heard of people having dreams where they see a vision of Jesus and and hear him say, come follow me. But God doesn't promise to reveal Jesus like this to everyone. And in fact, it's not the normal way that people come to the truth. So there's no point demanding that God do that before you'll believe. 
That's what I used to do as a skeptic. Uh, you, I needed to realize that you need to come to God on his terms. He will reveal his truth to you in a way that you can believe in his good timing. John the Baptist is a special case, and he was given this unique insight so he could prepare people for the coming of Jesus and point them to this truth so that they could believe as well. And that's exactly how John's disciples came to know Jesus, isn't it? Have a read with me from verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the disciples, the two disciples, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Do you see how the discovery of truth works for these first disciples? God doesn't show them directly. They don't give them a word or a vision. No, God, God tells John to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. And so John gathers people around him and teaches them about this great one to come. And then John tells his disciples, hey, look at that guy. That's the one. That's the one I've been telling you about, the Lamb of God. And because they know John, because they trust John and trust that John knows God, well, they know enough at least to start following Jesus. But the thing is, they're not willing to, to leap in blindly without questioning. Did you, did you see their first conversation there with Jesus from verse 38? Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Now, I don't think Andrew and his mate are looking to Jesus for advice on local accommodation options. No, they want to get to know Jesus. That's why they ask, where are you staying? They want to see if John was right about this guy. They want to see if he is, in fact, greater than John. Just like John was saying, is this guy the chosen one, the Messiah, the Lamb of God? And so they ask where he's staying so they can go check him out, maybe from a distance. But Jesus doesn't tell them an address and say, I'll meet you there later. No, he says, come, come with me and you'll see. He invites them in, invites them to discover who he is. Now it's worth pausing here to ask ourselves the question, how would you respond to Jesus' question here? If Jesus were to ask you this morning, right now, what do you want? Or more literally, what are you seeking? What do you want from Jesus? I mean, you came here this morning for a reason, didn't you? Are you here because you want to get to know Jesus better? Or are you just here for what you can get out of Jesus? There's so much to be gained by knowing Jesus, by having a personal relationship with the Son of God. Life in His name is profound, is deeply satisfying. It's a rock to build your life on. But don't come to Jesus just for what you can get out of it. Come to Jesus to get to know Him. Because it's as you get to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that's when all these other things will be given to you. And if you're not yet sure about Jesus, if you're not ready to believe in Him, well, here is your invitation. Come and see. Get to know Jesus. These disciples, they, they went, they sought him out, they stayed with him, they got to know him. 
And those disciples, they preserved this truth in this book so that we could too come and see for ourselves what he did, what he taught, what he said. Ask your questions. Come and chat to me afterwards or chat to whoever you know who believes in Jesus and ask them, what is it that makes you believe? But don't just take our word for it. Read the rest of John's gospel and come and see for yourself. See for yourself who Jesus was, what he did, what he said, and ask yourself, is this the guy that John the Baptist claimed he would be? Is this the guy that John the author wrote the book to convince me? Am I convinced that he's the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God? Come and see for yourself whether Jesus is the Son of God. And if you're here today and you've seen who Jesus is, then surely you'll want to invite others to come see him as well. Did you see the first thing that Andrew did, the disciple Andrew, when he was convinced that Jesus truly was the Messiah? What did he do? He goes and grabs his brother Simon and he brings him along to Jesus. And then Philip, what does Philip do? He goes and finds Nathaniel and says, come and see. Do your family and friends know Jesus? If not, have you told them that you want them to know the truth about him? That you've discovered the saviour of the world and you would not want nothing more than them for, for them to trust in him? Because this is not a matter of opinion. You've found the Messiah. You've found life in his name. They need him just as much as you do. Now, they might be skeptical at first, right? Don't you love Nathaniel? He's very quick to draw conclusions, isn't he? Put people in boxes. Nazareth. Can anything good come from that backwater town? I think we need to have it in a Liverpool, Manchester accent. That was great. Um, thanks, Becca. Now, I was trying to think of the equivalent for Nazareth in New Zealand. Um, apparently, Huntley has recently been outvoted as the worst town in New Zealand um, by Invercargill. Um, Invercargill, can anything good come from Invercargill? Anyone from Invercargill here? Um, but what's Philip's response? Again, come and see. You're not convinced that anything good could come from the Nazareth, Invercargill? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. And what Nathaniel discovers is that Jesus knows him. Jesus knows him through and through. Jesus knows that he's, he's the kind of guy that won't hide the truth. He speaks his mind, as we see with the Nazareth thing, right? Here truly is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. See, Jesus saw Nathaniel long before Nathaniel came to see him. Now, we, we don't know why this fig tree moment was so significant for Nathaniel. Um, perhaps he was sitting under a fig tree, crying out to God, pouring out his heart to God in prayer just before Philip came. And then Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree when you were praying to me. <laughs> and so the skeptic becomes a believer like that in an instant. And as we saw last week, just as Jesus knows Nathaniel, 
He knows us because he made us. All things were made through Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 3. Do you know Jesus knows you? He made you. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. All your secrets, all your hidden thoughts. And that means Jesus knows what you need to hear. So when you come to his word, ask him to show you what it is you need to hear. And it's amazing how often God speaks to our situation. Do you find that? When you're ready to listen, if you're listening to a talk online or the same passage might come up in your quiet time and then someone shares something in your community group and it's like Jesus is talking to you. He is. He knows you. He knows the truth you need to hear. So the question is, are you listening? Jesus is calling us to come and see. Come to his word, the Bible. The word that his Holy Spirit authored. Come and see who Jesus was, what he did, what he said. We all have different ways of coming to the truth. But the common thread for all the different approaches in this passage is a humility to come to God on his terms, which means coming to his word and coming with humility. If you do that, then you will see that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and you will have life in his name. Let's pray that we might come to him and see this truth. Let's pray. Almighty Father God, we are so easily led into deceptions and lies. And so we ask for your help, Lord, to find the truth. We thank you for John. We thank you for his testimony about Jesus. We thank you for John the Baptist, who's recorded in John's Gospel, and for his genuine pointing to someone who is far greater. And Lord, we thank you that wherever we're at and whoever we are, however it is that we might come to know Jesus, that if we come to you with humility, if we seek you in your word, that you promise, knock, and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. We pray for any here this morning who are still seeking. Lord, may they find you. Soften their hearts, humble them, Lord, so that they may seek you on your terms. We pray for all of us, Lord, especially those of us who do know Jesus, that we would know him more and more, that we'd, we would uh, draw near to him and not be caught up in all the things of this world that would distract us and drag us away from him. We thank you that he is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, and we pray now as we come to the Lord's Supper that you would prepare our hearts to receive this wonderful gospel truth. In Jesus' name, amen.